A Presbyterian was marooned, alone on an uncharted island. He lived there for several years before a passing ship happened to see his fire one night and changed its course to investigate. When some of the crew made their way by boat to the island, they found the man and three huts that he had built. They asked him, What are these three huts? He answered, One is where I live, and one is where I go to church. But what about the third hut, they asked. Oh, that's where I used to go to church. Most of us have heard stories of church splits and church divisions. Some of us have lived through them. If you look through the long lens of church history, you'll realize that Christianity is marked by all sorts of divisions and rifts. Let me provide you with a brief overview that I've collated from the Encyclopedia Britannica's entry on church schisms. Neil will be putting up a picture on the screen which uh, portrays this visually. Now, the church has been divided by the ecumenical creeds, such as the Apostles' Creed or Nicene Creed, creeds that were written to clarify theological points when many believed the church was wandering off in error. But schism hasn't always just been about theology. The church has been divided over issues of authority, who is really in charge. In 1054, one of the largest splits between the bishops of Rome and Constantinople, well, it happened because of theological differences, but also the refusal of Constantinople to accept Roman primacy. So they mutually excommunicated each other. The church has also been divided by attempts at moral and institutional reform. Some see the Protestant Reformation of the 16th century as the last of the medieval reform movements. You may recall that Luther never intended to start a new institution, but simply to reform the old one. Those churches that came out of the Reformation have been divided by numerous issues, in particular different understandings of the relationship with the state and of the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper, is it transubstantiation, sacramental signs, real, present, or memorial? When I suggested to another military chaplain that we have communion after our training was finished, he said that he couldn't because in his denomination, he understands communion differently than I do. The modern church has also been divided by many different Issues, different understandings of human origins as they relate to science in the Bible, different understandings of the work of the Holy Spirit, different understandings about the role of women in leadership, and different beliefs about human sexuality. Seen through the long lens of church history, the church has experienced substantive divisions. And we haven't even talked about local controversies, about the color of the sanctuary carpet, or bringing coffee to church. 
Today we continue on our journey with the early church as they bring the gospel to all the nations. During Paul's second missionary journey, he successfully establishes a church in Corinth and ends up staying with them for a year and a half. After this, he packs his bags and moves on to Ephesus. But in Ephesus, he hears concerning reports about the ongoing life of the church back in Corinth. And so he writes a letter to address these concerns. The first issue he addresses, and there are many of them, is a lack of unity. Contrary to most of our imaginations, fed by earlier descriptions in the book of Acts, the early church wasn't always serene, a sort of kumbaya by the campfire, but was often beset by quarreling and strife. It seems that the Christians at Corinth have been in contact with a variety of church leaders and had been arguing about which leader was superior. I follow Paul, says one. I follow Apollos, says another. I follow Peter, says another. And I follow Christ, says one other, taking the high ground. In terms of background, what you should know is that the Greco-Roman people thrived on eloquence and lionized its practitioners. Orators, people who spoke in public, were the first century rock stars. And so what was happening was that in Corinth, people were being competitive about their pastors and using their proximity to their pastors to boost their own rank and status. My child was baptized by Peter. Imagine what being in that church would be like. People were less focused on the message, more focused on the messenger, and more focused on their own status. Did you know that Apollos is speaking this Sunday? I just love him. He's so bright, so creative, and really attractive. None of that repetitive droning on and on like bald-headed, boring old Paul. You know, Apollos is going to be a special guest at that party I'm throwing next week. Yes, I think there's maybe room for you and your family as well. Are you getting the picture? Paul's problem with the Corinthian Christians quarreling is that they're acting just like the culture around them. They are lionizing the church's orators by dividing up into various fan clubs. The church was becoming less and less about the gospel. The church was becoming just another means for Peter, for people to seek status and prestige. Paul speaks against this, but what is Paul's solution? Well, it's to stop bickering. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and thought. Perfectly united in mind and thought? Sounds like a pretty tall order. But Paul doesn't just discourage them from fighting. He encourages them to adopt a positive emphasis, a new, a renewed focus on Christ. Was Christ divided, Paul asks them? Were you baptized into the name of Paul? Paul contends that their salvation is not based on the eloquence or the wisdom of their favorite orators, but on the work of Jesus Christ. 
And I quote, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul tells the Corinthian Christians to be united, there to be united in their focus on the cross. Last year after General Assembly, and General Assembly is the final decision-making body of our national church, last year after the assembly, I returned to St. Andrews with some proposed amendments to our doctrine. Amendments that would bring the LGBTQI community into full inclusion in our church. We met down in the lower hall to discuss this. Some of you celebrated this step and some of you lamented it. Now, because of COVID-19, the 2020 General Assembly has been canceled. But at the 2021 General Assembly, it will be reported that the majority of presbyteries in Canada have endorsed these proposed changes. They just need to vote on whether to accept that at the next General Assembly. Now, this could be a decision that tears apart the Presbyterian Church in Canada. Some congregations, some synods have signaled their desire to leave. This could be a decision that causes schism here at St. Andrews. Lots of people have very strong opinions. But you know, it also could be a change that remains subordinate to a sustained focus on the cross. Don't think this is possible? Well, put your mind back to March. Back in March, we hosted the 2020 South Kamloops World Day of Prayer. We worked together with at least seven other church communities in planning it. I'm sure that even more communities were present at the worship that was held. Now, we could have talked, we could have debated, we could have argued and fought about the various differences in doctrine and practice that were present in this planning group, different understandings of church authority, different understandings of human sexuality, different practices and beliefs about the sacraments. But we didn't talk about those things. Instead, we focused on what united us. We put our focus on Jesus and the healing work that our Lord is doing even today, how he commands us to take up our mat and walk. And what a wonderful time we had together. Personally, I was reminded that Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection transcend so many of our modern and historic, historical differences. And that St. Andrews, here in Kamloops, is part of a much bigger faith family. Now, the contemporary church, like the historical church, is marked by various divisions. There will always be insubstantial issues that dog our communities, and there will also, also always be substantial disputes about our theology and practice. But there is one thing that holds us together, one thing that we might consider spending more time considering, and that is the death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in the global church, Despite all these denominations, there are a few things that we share together. One of them is the ecumenical creeds. 
A creed, by definition, is a summary or statement of what one believes. It originates from the Latin credo, which means I believe. A creed is the epitome, the essence, not a full definition, of what is required for orthodoxy. The Nicene Creed is shared by the Roman Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, and various Reformed churches. Maybe not surprising, it also focuses on the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. I invite you to recite with me this creed. Um, and Neil's going to put it up on the screen for us. Let us recite this creed together, acknowledging what we all hold together and what will remain at the center of the Christian faith. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father. Through him all things were made. For us and for our salvation, he came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake, he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day, he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Catholic, that's universal, and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen and amen. <laughs>